0: Hola, this is another edition of Buen Hombre. We're delighted that you're going to be able to join us today. Every day is very, very important. Every day, like every life, is very sacred. And today, our producer, Sara Bella, and myself, Enrique Morones, are delighted to bring you another Buen Hombre with another incredible story in the work that he's doing and the work that he's doing with other people. And it's a person that you need to know. It's a person that's really making a big difference in this world with his commitment about thinking of other people. And I'm talking about none other than Dave Adelson. Dave, how you doing?
1: I'm doing good, Enrique, how are you?
0: I'm doing good, Dave, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the podcast, but normally what I do with the podcast or radio shows I've had in the past is I always want the person to introduce themselves and all about the throwback and the work that you've done and, as a teacher, and you're working on a screenplay, and you've done so many different things, uh, which are fantastic, and you're doing a lot of different things. I know that you've also worked with Michael, who's done a great job. But why don't you tell us a little bit, who is Dave, Dave Adelson?
1: Okay, and before I start, I just want to say, I say I'm doing well, but I'm actually really sad these days. I'm sad about what happened to George Floyd, and I'm sad about the society we live in that produces that. so, sorry, I may choke up from time to time. It's uh, These are rough times, I think, for everybody. Anyhow, for me, my background, I, I was a biologist, a neuroscientist, and I spent a lot of years working at a microscope and listening to uh, progressive radio broadcasts from Pacifica Radio, and sort of having my mind open to a much larger world, um, and decided that if everything I was hearing was true, then it wasn't enough to just, You know, know what's right, but yeah, that it was incumbent on each person to take whatever action they could. So I got involved in media activism and community media, of various sorts. This was in the era before podcasts, but we were hoping for something like podcasts. um, To be able to have a true civic media where you didn't have to be part of a big corporation to create an audience to help, you know, change people's consciousness. And uh, I actually had the opportunity to help participate in uh, the creation of RadioForAll.net, which still exists, which was the first uh, site on the web for sharing broadcast quality audio. And it's still used by community radio stations to share radio shows and for independent producers to share their content with those radio stations. So uh, that was an honor to be involved with that. in recent years, I've uh, I, I now work as a, a adjunct professor of life sciences at East LA College, and um, and then I also run a small nonprofit called the LA Throwback Foundation. I've been a lifelong ultimate frisbee player, and you know there's a there's a vibrant uh, community of ultimate players. It's a relatively small community, but tight knit. We gather together every week or many times a week for years on end to play sports together. The purpose of our foundation is to kind of take this community of privilege and uh, get them more active in uh, social justice issues uh, effectively. I mean, our mission says we want to create new leaders and we want to um, promote civic engagement of our community. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned my friend Michael Rose, he's a photographer. Michael and I got involved with uh, last spring, we were watching these just appalling reports of what was being done to migrants who were presenting themselves for asylum. And being of Jewish extraction and reading a lot of history, it reminded me very much of what was done to the Jews in the early part of the 1930s where you just, you know, once. Well, let me take a step back. We did this with uh, so-called terrorists. Once you call somebody a terrorist, you get to do anything you want to them apparently. And now once you call somebody an asylum seeker, a refugee, it seems anything can be done. So we decided we needed to not just cross post on Facebook, but to actually go you know, physically and see and feel what was going on and then try and do what we could to connect people who didn't have the opportunity to do that in some more intimate way to the human beings to whom this was happening, so that they're not, you know, objectified and alienated and the rest of it. Um, There's a great book called uh, They Thought They Were Free, uh, about an American Quaker of German-Jewish extraction went back to Germany in the early 1950s and met with people who had been involved with the Nazi party and talked to them about you know, what those times were like. And uniformly, you know, he said, these are decent people, so-called. Uh, he made friends with them. He didn't let them know he was Jewish. But they would speak freely about, uh, to him about their experience of that time. And for them, what happened to the Jews was something that happened far out on the edge of consciousness. Oh, yeah, there were some Jews here, but they left. They didn't like it here. It wasn't something that was any part of their immediate life. All their beliefs could exist separate from that. They were aware of something off in the distance, but it didn't affect them. And it felt to me like that was the same thing was happening with the migrant crisis, even despite you know the pictures and then with uh, of what was happening to people in the detention camps. And then with the migrant protection protocols, where people were being put on the left to to wait on the other side of the border, it disappeared from the media. So anyhow, Michael and I went down. I started doing radio interviews. I I know a news director at a station in Ohio who was uh, airing some of those interviews. I knew people at KPFK here in LA who've done some things. And uh, we went down to the albergues. Since I have this uh, Frisbee nonprofit, uh, we were able to give out Frisbees to the kids and teach them how to throw. And kids love playing Frisbee. Um, And we got to know the people in the albergues. We got to know Hugo Castro, who worked, uh, who I know has worked with you for many years. So he introduced us to many of the albergues. And then we got the idea to create um, this art project taking art supplies down to the albergues, and Hugo said you have to take teachers as well. So we took, uh, we gathered donations for art supplies, took teachers down there to get the people to be able to express themselves, not to be objects that somebody else is presenting up on a platter, but to express their own experience, with the goal of bringing that art back up to um, Los Angeles and Southern California exhibiting it, raising consciousness and a more intimate connection to those people and also trying to raise funds to help support the albergues and to increase art supply availability. Uh, The pandemic has short-circuited a lot of that work, but we're just about to uh, do a fundraiser with some uh, neckies like that you can wear as masks, featuring the art that the children in um, Embajadores de Jesus Uh, Pastor Banda's uh, albergue did when we were able to first do this project, and we're hoping through that we can raise consciousness in the broader community and raise funds to help support uh, what all these people who are running these albergues are doing for the migrants. So that's a a long version. Uh, Let me know what you think of what needs expanding.
0: Right, so that's a very uh, uh, detailed uh, explanation of some of the many things that you have been involved with, and I uh, honor your work and and the other people that have been involved in this type of work, like Michael and and Ugo. Uh, But where where are you from? Where did did you grow up and so forth?
1: Uh, I grew up in uh, Southern California in Los Angeles and um, kind of in a bubble of privilege. I grew up in Pacific Palisades up on a hill um, yeah, I, I was actually raised by a Mexican woman. My mom my mom had some uh, health difficulties that made it hard for her to take care of me when I was young. So I grew up speaking Spanish rather poorly, but um, yeah. And uh, then left home when I was 16 and got to, you know, experience a lot less privilege and see both sides of that um, that coin, and, and that woke me up a little bit to uh, what the rest of the world was like.
0: Yeah, so you um, uh, you you were born into white privilege, which you'll have all your life. Yep. You've seen the economic up and downs because of various circumstances, yep. but one of your opening statements is something that I can definitely relate to, uh, which is the case of, of George Floyd. And uh, unfortunately, he's one of many, one of many, especially African-American men, although there have been uh, people of all colors and and, uh, religious beliefs and and, and so forth, that that sadly have suffered the uh, consequences of what is taking place in this country at this moment. And I say a lot of it has to do with somebody at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue promoting hate through hate words. Because hate words will lead to hate actions, and that's why we have seen such a terrible rise in hate crimes throughout the country, and not only in this country. You have a lot of people that, um, you know, they'll they'll tell me it's not unique. Some of the things are unique here, but this is also going on in other parts of the world, and it's very sad. And it it reminds me of uh, of uh, 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 Martin Niemoller, you know, his, you know, first they came for the socialists you know, that, that story, and, and he goes down the line, and then he says, uh, and, but I wasn't a socialist, so I didn't do anything about it. And then when they came for me, there was nobody around. Well, that's what's taking place right now. And that's why it's good to have people that are doing something about it, like you. And one of the things when you and I met uh, through Hugo Castro, um, it was the, the Frisbee, and I didn't understand, because I love Frisbee, like the average person that grew up in Southern California probably does. There's a Frisbee golf course not too far from where I grew up, over there at Morley Field. Um, and I didn't realize how popular it was and that there was um, such a following. But when I drive by the, that park, even even during the closure, was people were playing the Frisbee and so forth. And it, it is a universal sport. I remember I told you one time I was in, in Europe in a little town in Spain. And I don't know what, I was there with a buddy of mine. We were just traveling with backpacks and so forth. And we had a Frisbee. And we would use it for recreation. And one time we were in a little plaza, and it was just uh, with the wonderment of the children. Because back then, in the 70s, it was pretty new. The Frisbees were pretty new. And they couldn't figure out where it was going to land and so forth. But anything that you can do through sport, through music, through art, that brings people together is so important. And you're tapping into a lot of that
1: with these various factors. It's a great way to make friends with total strangers. If you go up and start talking to a total stranger, they're gonna recoil all the time, whether I'm at the beach or in parks or whatever. If you're throwing a Frisbee and somebody's watching, that means they're interested. You can throw them the Frisbee and they'll start playing with you. It's a very low barrier to making friends. I remember after I got done with college, I went to work in Alaska for the summer And I didn't have a tent and I didn't have a place to stay, but I had a Frisbee. So I'd go to campsites and I'd just throw Frisbee with people until I got to know them well enough to ask them if they could spare some tent space. Um, And when you go down and, and throw with a kid, a kid instantly tunes into this game. And if you are similarly like deeply into it, you know, you're not just doing it halfway, but you, they, people can tell when you love it, it's, you know, and and you're doing it with some skill and they're attracted to it. So it really breaks down barriers. And at some point, that's what we're gonna have to do. We live in our little bubbles. We have to break down barriers and connect to a wider world to understand what goes on and every single person's action in that regard matters. If you are living in your own little world, right, you can't have larger impact. So the thing about a Frisbee is, it's it's an easy to share experience. So it's very powerful in that way. And we are lucky with our foundation because our disc sponsor, Aria Discs, provides us with large numbers of discs, uh, off print discs that we can give away. So I can go down to an albergue and give a disc to every single kid and they light up with it, right? And when I came, come back, like when we were down at Embajadores, we gave the discs out, we came back the next day. They didn't know we were coming back the next day. They were all out there at 10 attending them, not all, Many kids were out there at 10 in the morning throwing, and a couple had already gotten good. And so it's a, as I say, it's a great way to make connections, and it's part of a community. So those kids, if they know how to play this game, they can step onto a field anywhere and instantly have friends if they can demonstrate the skillfulness that they'll be able to develop because they have time on their hands and a Frisbee in their hands.
0: That's right. So if it's sport, if it's music, if it's dance, if it's art, uh, photography, all of those things are, they take the barriers down. And it's a universal language that you can share. So you've combined some of those issues because, you know, we're working with Gente Unida at the shelters in Tijuana, like we have been for a long time, not just in Tijuana, but in in actually in other places as well, besides Mexico. And the, so I was really attracted to the uh, throwback foundation because I came from a sports background myself, as you know, and, and I saw a lot of similarities where you were talking about the institutional racism. I definitely saw it in baseball, and I see it in all, not only in sports, but in society in general, where the decision makers are typically white men. Yeah. You know, they're, so, so they, they don't look down on uh, other communities, and I shouldn't say look down, they don't look upon other communities and include them in decision making, but when you have music and art and sport, that's something where, you know, that's off the table. You're out there, you're all equal. You could throw a frisbee. you could paint, you could sing, and you could enjoy. And that's something that you've been doing with your uh, Throwback Foundation. And I really love the fact that you're incorporating it into other things. Like I remember you talked about painting when the children at the shelters, because we're doing a program with, with, with people that are uh, painters that are teaching the children at the shelters how to paint. Right now, of course, we have to do it virtually, but, but everybody has that talent. Some are much more talented than, than others, but they have the talent of at least being able to pick up a, a paintbrush and, and, uh, and, and, and make those colors dance. Well, you could do the same thing with the Frisbee. So what about this? You have the Frisbees, and then you have the painting, where you brought the painting concept to the children. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, actually, uh, Luis Rosales, who's down there working with Psicólogos sin Fronteras, did something really interesting. Because we gave the, him discs, because he's doing regular work in the albergues as well. So we gave him a couple boxes of discs to give out there, and he's also doing some art therapy stuff. And and they didn't have paper one day, so he had the kids paint the underside of the frisbees. It was it was a funny uh, combination of the two things, but. Um, yeah I mean, in both cases it's what we're trying to do is what we'd like to do, and like uh we we run a large uh, beach ultimate tournament annually, and then we raise a little bit of money. We use a lot of the money to donate to um, young players and teams in our area uh, to support what they're doing, but with the remaining money, what we wanted to do was pay for uh, people in our community to go down to Tijuana and join us in spending time in the albergues and teaching kids and you know not every kid likes the sports aspect of it so some watch but some of them will do art Uh, the important thing is to connect on a social and cultural level and and break those barriers down also as you know the migrant population in Tijuana is a little bit alienated from larger Tijuana society and there are some people in Tijuana who are hostile to the migrants Um, So there's a thriving ultimate community down in Tijuana organized that one of the great organizers down there is a guy named Rafa Contreras who runs Baja Sunset Ultimate. And that's a league out of uh, Setis, which is, as you know, like the Stanford of that, uh, of of that community. Um, So these are kids who are playing as part of an organized league. They have all the gear, you know, the, the, the kit with the, it's high, high end stuff, really well organized. And what we want to do is bring players with a uh, from from with a love of the game who are interested in making these connections from Southern California, and and form a triangle between ourselves, the kids in the shelters, and the the community that plays there in in Tijuana. To sort of to establish a solidarity that can resist when the when when our government or when our policies are dehumanizing people. You can't dehumanize, in the eyes of somebody who has made friends with somebody else, you can't dehumanize them, you become activated. You care, you're, you're not willing to do nothing or just post, post on Facebook and say, isn't this terrible? So the goal is you know, to, to, to support people so that they will go down, we'll pay their gas and their hotel, again, this was before the pandemic, to get them to go down and make friends across boundaries of class and nationality and status and all that, um, both, you know, and it's not just, you know, it's not just charity, it's, it's widening the horizons of everybody who participates and forming a more durable community of solidarity. That word resonates to me. I don't know how to resist the, um, just the, the incitement to hatred and harm that our government and this president is presently, uh, uh, you know, activating other than to try to build solidarity. And again, it's something every single person can do and must do, because to just watch, you know, to you to going back to the Niemoller quote, to just watch is to let it grow. When when the Nazis took over in Germany originally you know, back in the early 20s, people thought, hey, these people are wing nuts. pay no attention to the middle pass. Oh, oh, this guy, Hitler, he's, he's a nut. You know what, they were organized and persistent, and other people did not stand up. And they didn't form adequate bonds of solidarity to resist. And I, I really think it's urgent right now. I, as much as I thought it was urgent back when we started, you know, we started going down in August. Now, it's just overwhelming, and it's incumbent on everybody to do something to build uh, bonds of solidarity across lines, uh, not just within the circles they travel in.
0: That's right, and life is a participant sport, yep. it's, uh, so it's important to participate, and you were talking about with the Nazis and when they started and so forth. When I go around and lecture, and I was in Germany not too long ago, I talk about the fact that it started with a trickle. It yep. started with a trickle. And then before you knew it, it became a little, little stream and a river. And before you know it, it's a tsunami. So you got to cut it off. You got to cut it off. Cause we are already way past that trickle now. Yep. And we still got to cut it off and we can, but we got to participate. We got to vote in November. We got to be active. We got to resist. When you see a man like George Floyd get, uh, you know, you know, he can't breathe. And the, the, the police officers are just, One is has his knees buried into his neck. The other one is just standing by as if nothing is going on. And sadly, it's one of many, many, many cases. And we've got to uh, you know stand up and say enough is enough. Because when a lot of people say my prayers and thoughts, um, I get really mad. I get really mad. I go, yeah, that's nice, but what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? Well, by, by doing something by going down there and seeing the children and teaching the children, and loving the children, and listening to them, that's a huge, huge step. And we will be able to, to dance again and, and to sing again. So what has been the reaction of some of the people you've brought down to the shelters in Tijuana?
1: Well, so far, we were just, we, we were just getting this going. So we had just brought, and Michael and I went, and then we took down uh, artist friends of ours, and they were very touched by it, and were looking forward to going back and uh, we hadn't, we'd been, but there's an interesting thing apropos that point you made about action. Um, there's actually a fairly high barrier. So we posted in our, to various boards and lists in our community that we were doing this and we got a few people saying, wow, what a great idea. And a couple saying, yeah, I wanna go. But when you follow up and you ask, okay, when, sometimes you get tickets. So we, I was expecting it to be a lot easier, like, hey, We'll pay for your gas, we'll pay for your um, hotel, we'll, we'll take you down, we'll go down there with you, we'll introduce you, we'll get to give out Frisbees, we'll meet kids, it'll be great. And you know what? It isn't as easy as it ought to be, which tells you that the work needs doing. Um, so I'm really disappointed, I mean, yeah, people are dealing with more heavier things than this, but the pandemic has short-circuited it for now. So we're gonna see when we start, and I hope, uh, Henty Unida will consider uh, do, using these neckies also for fundraising for what you're doing. Maybe your community will support it. I want to see what the reaction is of people when we offer this apparel that has the artwork that the kids did on it. Uh, whether yeah, they want to get connected. They wanna they want to support this. I'll be interested, but it's not the same as going physically.
0: Right. Yeah. We're, no. We're definitely interested. Now, tell me a little bit about. The uh, When you've gone down there and you've talked to the children, because this is something that we're very passionate about and have a lot of people in the artist community that are leading that for us because I, I know nothing about art. But you talk to the children about, you know, maybe drawing something or painting something about maybe how they feel or whatever. And then I saw the drawings that some of these children did, and they are unbelievable. I mean, it just brought tears to my eyes to see – the talent and the way that they could express themselves through painting it was unbelievable uh some of the paintings that that i saw and then michael uh took pictures of them and had them in these really nice frames and so forth so tell me about that process about getting the kids to paint
1: and express their feelings i gotta be honest with you i go down and i throw frisbees with kids so that they were doing the painting inside i stopped in Uh, And I was watching it. One one of the things that's, they they love doing it. Um, And it was interesting too, because afterwards, Hugo had explained to them ahead of time, we're going to take this art you do up to Los Angeles to try and show it, to let people know what's happening to you and what's going on down here. And afterwards, a few of them were like, okay, can I, I, you know, I want to keep mine. And we're like, you can keep it if you want. And Hugo said, but if you want to let them take it they'll use it for this purpose and ultimately they all said yes take it so they were as as they they were so generous you know and and i remember i was really touched because at first they're a little shy but once they've seen you around they come up to you and they're just like arms around you at all times you know you're like draped in kids it was the most touching experience for me and what we did is we took, Michael took uh, high quality photographs of all of their art when we got back. And then we bought frames and we took them back. We went on a subsequent trip and took them back little quadras, little framed photos of the art they did. So they got to ha- you know keep that as a memoriam. They loved that. One of the things that I found really striking was uh, the subjects. So a lot of hearts, uh, the heart was a subject of a lot of the painting, but so was the desert sky at night with cacti and mountains and stars and I looking at it, I couldn't help thinking they were describing this experience they'd had in their long um, trek up to Tijuana of, you know, being in the middle of the desert at night staring at the skies and I think thinking about what their future was going to hold. Um, some of those paintings they, I mean, I have, I have uh, we, uh, reproductions of them here in the room with me. Uh, and I, I spend a lot of time looking at it and thinking about it. Uh, we really wanna make compositions, montages of several of these things also to offer to people so they can you know, have that same experience of sitting and looking at it and thinking, seeing through the, through the eyes of the kids what made an impression on them Um, They were really avid. I was all, so with the artwork, I mean, when I did watch the teaching going on, because I'm not an artist, but they're extremely avid. I couldn't believe how well behaved these kids were. I was thinking, you know, if these were American kids, you could never get a group of kids that large with that much paint around without it being chaos. So that was extremely striking to me. Uh, all the vilification of the people who are coming up. These are some of the sweetest. Um, uh, you know, I, I just don't know any other word. Just, just great temperament. These uh, uh, shy and friendly, and but full of life. I mean, I, I just loved being around them. It, it meant a lot to me to be down there and uh, with this art in my, in my home. I spend a lot of time thinking about what the hell these kids are going through right now, being in these shelters where they can't socially distance, having their future put on hold. And I think the work you guys are doing to help, you know, promote, to take care of them and to promote culture occurring in in the shelters is critically important. So I don't know if that's a good answer to what you said. but.
0: That's that's good. And then another aspect that's really important that you've been very active in is the media activism, you know, with the radio and the social uh, platforms and so forth, in getting the word out about what is taking place. Because some of these progressive radio stations or social media, the social media is not so new anymore, but some of these radio stations that you've mentioned uh, have quite a track record of being very active in the community and telling people about what is really taking place. And there's a lot of people that still don't believe it, that still don't believe it. So by seeing uh, the children, by actually going down and, 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 and interacting with them, you feel the love because like I've always said, a society is judged on how we treat our children. So you go down there or anywhere and, and are surrounded by children, you're surrounded by love. And they're the ones teaching us. And they're the ones reminding us how we've, we as adults, some of us older than others have really done a terrible job. We haven't set a good example. So it's not too late. Like we talked about the trickle becomes in a tsunami. Well, that works. And that was in a negative sense in that scenario, but it also works in a positive sense. So you go down to that forgotten or, 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 child that hasn't received a lot of attention or maybe lost his parents because of a tragic situation. And now they're seeing somebody reach out to them and listening to them and, and, and letting them participate in throwing a frisbee and painting a design and singing a song and joining in a dance. And you see that life start coming out of them because we're listening and we're paying attention. And that's what we want to do with Gente Unida. So that's why we want to work very closely uh, with you and, and the other people that are sincerely working on promoting human rights. Because we also see a lot of people out there that they're out there just for the flash and the glory they're not really out there for the commitment of, of devoting their life to human rights. Like you see Hugo Castro, whom you know, and, and uh, he's been doing this for a long time. There are people out there, we had not too long ago on the, pa- on the podcast, a, a young lady named Adi that's from Iran. And she spent her childhood being bombed in a war. Eventually she made it to El Cajon, California, and now she has Rumi with a view, a big follower of Rumi and, and, uh, and the dance therapy and the, and, the, and, and, and the poetry and so forth is so powerful. And to see it and to feel it and to participate is second to none. And that's one of the things that you're doing with your, your Frisbee. Other people are doing it with the art and the music and the participation.
1: I wanted to say, you know, you you gave me a really nice introduction, but there's nothing special about me or Michael. The when you reach out in this way, and we were, you know, very amazed. We went down there kind of blind, trying to be of, find a way to be of use. And you make connections with good people very rapidly. It's something anyone can do. Everybody's action matters. Every action you take matters and reverberates and every action you don't take every time you don't take action that matters too and it's just important that everybody to, you know it's that old Pete Seeger thing we all bring our teaspoon and together we move mountains and so it's really important that everybody not think that you know any any of this is some unusual thing that you have to have special capacities to do You know, every one of us can find a way to take action. I imagine that a lot of your audience is probably already people who are activated, but hopefully they can reach to the circle beyond them and convince somebody else to join them in what they're doing. Uh, Because we, again, we, we all have our teaspoon. Together we'll move mountains.
0: So, Dave, how can people get a hold of you and learn more about the foundation and learn more about this work?
1: Um, Our website is LAThrowback.org, and to be honest, we're in the midst of, uh, right, if you go there now, you'll see bits of this on uh, the pages that deal with our project called Ultimate Everywhere, which is about spreading our sport uh, to communities where it's not well represented yet, Uh, but uh, we're going to be, we're in the process of reworking it in the next hopefully few days. We will have stuff up about the border project and about the Neckies, But I can be reached at Dave at LAThrowback.org. And again, our website's LAThrowback.org. And we'll have more stuff up there about our border project in coming days and weeks.
0: And we're going to be working very closely together because, as you know, uh, teaming up with Antonida and La Throwback, we're going to be working on a lot of projects together because we both want to promote the same thing which is love, and when, when I ask you, um, what does what does love mean to you?
1: Just being able to connect with people and caring about them, I suppose. I it's a question to- that
0: I ask people, I've been asking that question for many, many, many years, and it's universal. Whenever I said it, like right now, or asked it, there's always that pause, uh, and then the person describes what love means to them because you're an example of what love is because you're taking action you're not just talking about it you're actually doing something about it and what you're doing creates love and that love you know is also that also comes back to you a lot of times people that are involved in this you know i'll talk to them and i'll go yeah but you know how much we also get because we're out there helping the people and the love that we receive is part of that energy that keeps us going
1: that, that moment, I, I have such a vivid moment of sitting in Embajadores de Jesus uh, with those kids, talking to them about what we were gonna do with the art and literally they were draped on me. They all had, you know, they were all, and it happened in the other albergues too. Again, not at first, at first it's who are you, but when they see you there for a while, being giving of yourself and they can tell Uh, they just opened right up and it was, I mean, uh, just an incredible moment for me and I'm grateful for it.
0: Well, Dave, I wanna thank you. We wanna thank you uh, so much for the work that you're doing. As you mentioned, people can tell, you can't just go by there and buy your way into having people say, oh, what a wonderful group or whatever, you have to earn it. You have to earn it by being there, showing the commitment, showing up, participating with the people, treating them as your equal. And, and learning from them, like you, like, uh, you know, like, like we're trying to do things so that they can enjoy life a little bit better. And, uh, and, and, and all of us learn from each other. You're a perfect example of that. So on behalf of Sarah Bella, the producer, myself, Enrique Morones, thank you very much. And we want to have you back. And, and uh, so we could talk a little bit more about the various projects that you're doing and, uh, invite Michael to join us and so forth. As we develop this a little bit further down the line, because we have so much work to do, but we got to do it starting right now. We can't be waiting. We can't be waiting because, like we have mentioned, every day that we wait, we have more cases like George Floyd. We don't want to have more cases like George Floyd.
1: Yeah. Can I, I mean, I don't want to brush past that. that. That requires its whole own podcast. So i hope we can do it i I wanted to give one other uh url if you go to michaelrose.com spelled my m-y-k-e-l rose.com and look at the chapters there for the border project expressions from the border that shows the artwork that the kids have so m-y-k-e-l rose.com go to chapters and choose expressions from the border that's michael's photography of the kids the kids art us playing frisbee all of that and uh, as to George Floyd you know presente uh, we have a video of him we know it happened to many more and it's on all of us to stop it
0: well thank you Dave thank you very much for your work and we're going to continue to move forward because love like I've mentioned is an action and don't forget we all got to get out there and vote on November 3rd amor si se puede
1: Thanks, Enrique. Thank you, Sarah.